Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And Zero G would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we operate today, and pay our respect to their elders past, present and future, and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. On this day, which is not actually Invasion Day or Survival Day or Australia Day, it's the day after. Exactly. <laughs> it's our traditional public holiday, <laughs> uh, which when you really get down to it, is the most Australian thing of all, a public holiday. <laughs> Although, technically speaking, uh, from the Klingon Empire standpoint, uh, Invasion Day, well, it's the entire planet as far as we're concerned. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, yes. Now, our wish to you is that you do have a, a nice and safe mm-hmm. day today. Uh, enjoy that beautiful weather out there. Yes, oh, my goodness. Exactly. Yeah. Our title for today is Where's Wonder Woman When You Need Her? <laughs> In the Trenches. <laughs> Our podcast title is Over the Pod instead of Over the Top. So, yeah, we're going to have a look at the film 1917. Yes, very keen to hear your thoughts. There's a bit of talk around that film at the moment. Mm. So, and I'm, I mean, I'm sure from someone with who's knows about war films. I'd be interested to hear your take on where it sits in the genre. Yes, I, I, I have many medals in the field of watching war watching movies. Watching war films. <laughs> and happy Year of the Rodent. Yes, indeed, Year of the Rat. Shanyin Datsi. And since it's a pan-Asian holiday, hmm. I'm going to get, riff off for a track um, for the from the actor who's played... Many Pan-Asians, Chinese, Korean, Japanese. And that is uh, Makoto Iwamatsu, a Japanese-American actor, better known as Mako. He wasn't a shark, but he was the wizard in 1982's Conan the Barbarian and its sequel, Conan the Destroyer. And he played the Chinese character Po Han in The Sand Pebbles back in 1966. He was also, in 1980, Jackie Chan's uncle in Jackie's first American movie, The Big Brawl. <laughs> um, later on, he became known for voiceover roles like the evil Aku in Samurai Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, also Iroh in Avatar, The Last Airbender. He was also in um, Takeshi Miko's The Bird People in China, which... Oh. Would not be unusual. Takeshi Miike's had so many films that practically everybody in the yeah. world has been in those films. <laughs> uh, but he's also had a, a Broadway career. Oh, well. Mm. 
So in lots of uh, musicals, including Stephen Sondheim's Broadway musical Pacific Overtures, which are, is going to be the track that we shall play, because I just love the idea of Marco singing. Yeah. So now I should call him Mako. I, I like Mako better. I'll go with that. Um, now, why am I connecting him with the Year of the Rat? Because in <laughs> – this will be good, says Megan. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, 2007, um, computer-animated uh, martial rats, mm-hmm. <laughs> superhero mm-hmm. movie. And Mako played the voice of Splinter, oh, Mr. Splinter. So we, so we got there. This film was written and directed by Kevin Munro. And it's got everybody in it because I was just looking at the, uh, the, car, at the uh, soundtrack album of TMNT um, and it's got – Sarah Michelle Gellar Ooh. playing April O'Neil. Of course, yeah. I did know that. Patrick Stewart is in there. Uh, Zee Zhang. Um, and Chris Evans. Chris Evans was playing um, <laughs> Casey Jones. Wow. And Lawrence Fishburne was uh, narrating it. So it was really actually quite a prestigious yeah. voice cast in there. Very one. much so. Mm. So, But I am riffing off the fact that uh, Mako played... Master Splinter for the Year of the Rat. So this is his song from Stephen Sondheim's Broadway musical Pacific Overtures. And uh, not to be confused with South Pacific. No. No, this one Very is, different. Yeah, very, very different because <laughs> it's Sondheim. And uh, this is called The Advantages of Floating in the Middle of the Sea. Hey, this is Craig Charles, Dave Lister from Red Dwarf. You're listening to the London Jet Zero G football show. And what? Zero G. Science fiction show. Oh, smeg. Yeah, we had Mako Makoto Iwamatsu, who, of course, was the Japanese-American actor who played the voice of Splinter, mm. Master Splinter, so happy year of the rodent. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and that was from uh, Stephen Sondheim's Pacific Overtures. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I cannot help but sit there and think that's Splinter singing. <laughs> <laughs> what a visual. Yeah, crooning, crooning away to those turtles. Now, um, where are we? We're on Australia Day today. <laughs> <laughs> and we're looking at all sorts of things, including um, Nikola Tesla's Dark Night of Terror, mm. which is a Doctor Who story, the fourth episode of the 12th series of the... 13th Doctor's <laughs> second series and hot on the news that uh, Jodie Whittaker has said, yes, I'll do another series. Oh, she has. Mm. Brilliant. Mm. And I, we, you know, like, like vampires, we invite her back over the threshold. Absolutely. The I'm happy to see another season with Jodie. Uh, this particular story is written by Nina Metivia and directed by Nida Manzur. And once again stars Jodie Whittaker and the usual crew of Companions. Yes. As well as Goran Viznik, who plays uh, Nikola Tesla, Mm -hmm. a Croatian-American actor who's appeared in lots and lots of US TV and British TV as well and uh, and a few movies too. Uh, I think he's known for the series ER and also uh, another series called Timeless. We also have Robert Glenister playing Thomas Edison. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's been in uh, 
Lots of uh, caper British shows like Hustle and Spooks. Sure. But he actually was in Doctor Who, like many British actors. He's appeared there before, back in the day uh, with Peter Davison in the serial The Caves of Androzani, where he played a uh, an android. And we also have, returning to her Doctor Who past, uh, Anjali Mohindra, who's plays Queen Skithra in this story. And we know her as Rani Chandra, one of the regulars in the Sarah Jane adventures. Ah. So it's nice to see them this sort of appear. Nice you won't recognise her, <laughs> I swear, in this one. Uh, and another person who actually you won't recognise because he's kind of playing uh, himself in this, Paul Casey. He's um, a Doctor Who actor of great vintage. He's played the cyber controller, the cyber leader. He plays a lot of the robots and monsters. He's so, got his niche. Yeah, yeah. He's been an Ood, an Auton, a Slovene, <laughs> so, all sorts of characters. Occasionally you do actually see his um, uh, his actual face as you do in this one. <laughs> so, yeah, just a shout out to Paul Casey there. I just thought, yeah, okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, look, I, I've never... Obviously, this is a, a story about Nikola Tesla, so it's set in 1903 mm-hmm. uh, in the USA. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just been working on his big Niagara Falls generator. Yep. Um, and I've never really had much time for the admittedly pleasant counterfactual fantasies about Tesla's inventions leading us into a, an alternate golden retro future. But it's a nice fantasy. It is. You know, and, and then, then you plug into that whole uh, Edison conspiracy. Yes. Of which there is some sort of There is, yeah. Thing. But um, uh, I, they did an episode about Tesla on the Murdoch mysteries. <laughs> so, you know, which was very charmingly harmless. And, and they've done a lot of that. So if you look for Tesla, you'll find him all through the, the steampunk canon. Oh, he's very know. popular in steampunk circles. Mm. Although I actually think that William Murdoch invented more than he did. It's pretty clear <laughs> that there were, if, he, if Murdoch didn't invent it, then it's got no business being used in the 20th century. <laughs> Um, and, of course, there was that wonderful time when David Bowie played Tesla in The Prestige. In The Prestige. Yeah. A fine movie, yeah. a fine portrayal. Yeah. Oh, now, this, as I said, this story takes place in 1903. And, yes, you are going to get a lot of uh, banter and clashing between Tesla and Edison. Indeed. You know. That's so what people come that's for. That's what we came That's for. why, yeah. We came to see the crash. The, 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 but there is electricity between the Doctor and Tesla as well. Oh. And, and so that really works quite quite Love marvellously it. because the Doctor loves a bit of unorthodox engineering. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, she's probably the the main person to think about, more than MacGyver even because she's all across all of space and time. <laughs> MacGyver's very local. <laughs> yeah, very local. Um, you know, and the Doctor can do things with her sonic screwdriver that um, MacGyver has to use. Paper clips and such. And a Swiss Army knife. Exactly. <laughs> So all of that. Um, now, there is, of course, an uh, an alien element in this. Otherwise, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. probably wouldn't be Doctor Who. Um, and the, the charm of it, I really think, is um, the Doctor's a bit of a fan of Tesla. Mm. And in a way, it's a little bit like Vincent and the Doctor, which is um, another serial from New Who. Okay. Uh, and there's that sort of little bit of reverence and mm. a bit of poignant sort of sadness because mm. – in, in real life, Tesla came to a pretty 
um, awful fate, was mm. penniless, and mm. you know, and mm. it was it was very very sad. Which mm. adds to the you know this, mm. the uh, the martyr sort of legend. Oh, I feel bit. grim now. <laughs> yeah, it is a, but it's not. It's a it's an uplifting story. Okay. Um, I think the companions actually get cast into the shade a bit by by Tesla being oh. there. In fact, you know, you could imagine Tesla and the Doctor being yeah, in the bit TARDIS. of banter, bit of yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, I thought that they handled the story particularly well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no doubt that this is a good Doctor Who story. Yeah. Uh, whether or not it's a great Doctor Who story depends. So they've not done any Tesla stuff before. Um, you know what? I don't know. I'm sure that they must have mentioned Tesla it, at some, some stage. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, uh, I'd have to look that one up in my in my uh, Whopedia. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a, it's a good, strong Doctor Who story, and I think maybe Orphan Fifty Five, the previous story, wasn't quite as good as it could have been. Yeah. And this one, but this one is. Brought it back up. Yeah, it did. Uh, and, and, yeah, as I said, it's very, very sort of poignant in its implications. Yeah. Okay. And, and you know, I just I just thought it, they, they ran quite well with it. Everybody does exactly what I would expect them to do as companions and as a doctor. And, of course, um, uh, of course, the, the, the regular companions, uh, uh, Bradley Walsh, once again playing Graham, O'Brien, once again, he does such a good job. Yeah. Like he, he's probably my favourite, to be honest. Like, like he's playing the bit of the know-it-all in this one. Yeah, right. And and once again, his common knowledge as a bus driver. His, like, mapping knowledge <laughs> and... It's just, I, I, just, I just love that. Mm. You know, it's just... He's a, he's a, he's a, char- he's a companion who I identify with quite a bit in the show. Uh, and... Um, it's possible that we may lose uh, Mandip Gill, who plays Ryan. Oh. It's possible. It's speculation because he's just landed the lead role in a, a series himself. Interesting. So it's hard to do that and also do the Doctor. Although, if it's a British show, um, you know, they can kind of squeeze in episodes. Mm. But I don't know. We'll see how that, that, that plays out. But good luck to him if he... If he oh, no. Mandip Gill is Yaz. Sorry? What am I th- who am I thinking of? Tosin Cole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So many names, so many companions. So I many know, doctors. three to keep track of. But, yeah, no. Yeah, but it's Tosin who's... Interesting. Um, oh, I see. He's got lead. the lead role. Yeah. Mm, okay. Okay, so um, I'd recommend this one. Uh, and I, yeah. I, I think it's been a strong series so far. I think Orphan 55 let them down a little bit, but not too much. And I personally, I think uh, that was an enjoyable episode for me. Mm. It wasn't, you know, nothing wild, but I wouldn't say it was particularly weak, even if it is the weaker of what we've seen. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I think you can get a bit fooled by ones that take a little bit of a step down. Yeah, and you think, oh, that's dreadful. Yeah, it's like, but we'll it's just actually pile on that. Still, yeah, it's still in the grand scheme of things like a good episode yeah. to what you know, episode of TV. Nothing and wrong it's a, with it. You know, don't get me wrong, but I've seen some piss poor episodes of classic Doctor Who. Yeah, well, <laughs> they can't hit it out of the park every time. No. Um, and this was directed by Nido Manzur, who is directing the next episode, which is Fugitive of the Jadoon, which will have dropped today. Ooh. I love the Jadoon. They're the uh, the rhino-horned um, uh, space cops. Okay, all right. You know, who, 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 who march around saying incomprehensible phrases, you know, like, bock, jock, bop, chop. You know, it's just, it's just great. I, I thought they were really cool characters. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Nikola Tesla's Dark Knight of Terror. Nice. Now, I would like to play a, uh, a bit of um, uh, David Bowie 
doing some dialogue mm. as Nikola Tesla in um, what was it? The movie The, the Prestige. Prestige. From 2006. The third turn or whatever, The Prestige. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this one, it starts off with uh, with the two characters, with um, um, Huge Ackman mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, walking into Tesla's lab. Mm-hmm. And, and in the film, Tesla comes striding out of this vast cathedral of electricity that he's generating. That's in his, right. You know, and it's just this amazing thing. So what an entrance. Yeah, what an entrance. So that's what you'll hear first in uh, this clip from The Prestige. Hello, my name's Sylvester McCoy. I play Doctor Who number seven, and you're listening to me, and you're also listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Triple R on FM, digital, online, on demand, podcasts, and via the app. Yeah, Mr. Jackman and Mr. Bowie there from the film The Prestige. What a duo. Yeah, I love that film, actually. It's a, it's great, a great film. Yeah. Peak Michael Caine accent. Oh, that's right. Michael Caine plays his uh, sidekick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't Caine the um, – he's playing like Q. He's the uh, – the, the, the gadgeteer. And, yeah, he's sort of the audit, you know, explains everything for us so we know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, magical film. So good. One of Bowie's greats. I, there's so many. I mean, you know, he, it's like oh, David Bowie playing uh, Nikola Tesla. That's a, that's a no-brainer. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, well, I wouldn't say a, a no-brainer for um, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina <laughs> because I've actually grown to like that show. Yeah. You love it. I feel like when we started out, I said, Rob, why don't we look at this? And he said, yes, I'll give it a go. Mm -hmm. And then you quickly surpassed me when season two came out, finished that off. Was it season two? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird because it's like um, they they split them into two parts. Mm, That's right. So it's like part one and part two is kind of like season one. I think they do that for like contractual reasons and stuff. I remember with Breaking Bad, there was some discussion around why it had like a weird structure towards the end. Mm -hmm. Um, But anywho, so yes, we've got the latest episodes out now on Netflix, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I haven't watched any yet, but you've caught some. I have. When we left Sabrina uh, at the end of part two, (laughs) um, (laughs) And there are eight episodes, of mm. course, uh, with this new one, and they've all dropped. Excellent. So, I mean, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've watched two already. <laughs> um, as, as we know, the, uh, the, the, the Witchcraft Academy had collapsed mm-hmm. um, and, and it had been discovered that, uh, that Lord Blackwood had been up to no good. Although, well, isn't there like a default setting for these? Exactly. So he people? was doing what was to be expected of him, yeah, really. He was fulfilling his uh, key... KPI. Exactly. But but that didn't stop um, the Spellman family from no. uh, being very upset with him. And I mean the entire family from uh, Sabrina to her two aunts, mm-hmm. uh, Hilda and Zelda, and also to her cousin Ambrose. Yes. And so when we open with this one, Ambrose and um, Prudence, mm. who's one of the uh, like almost like – The three – The the craft. The weird sister, three weird sisters yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she and uh, she and Ambrose are hunting for Lord Blackwood. That's right. Yes, it's a difficult thing to do because he's quite adept. He's wily, and he was their teacher. 
Yes. So, you know, he's got some moves. Um, as you also know, uh, Sabrina's boyfriend, Nicholas Scratchman. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's a little bit Veronica Mars there. You're never really sure which well, boy she's going to end up they're with. They're really trying to make it like a love triangle, but it's more yeah. like a love line. Like I don't think anyone's rooting for Harvey and Sabrina, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, no, and there's some interesting directions to that as well that take place in this season as far oh. as I can tell. But Nicholas Scratchman is in hell. Yes, exactly. Basically. This is where we left end of last time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious to see how they pick that up. Well, there's, there's a power vacuum in hell at the moment. Okay. Um, because uh, Which we knew some of, I think. Lucifer Morningstar, who's Sabrina's father... And not the guy from the series Lucifer, although no. he is. He's a, yes, yeah, so he's, yeah, some. So many, so there's so, so many. looking dude. Hellishly good series around about Satanism at the moment. <laughs> you got it's your, having a moment. Yeah, it's having a moment. It's their day. And um, uh, because he's gone from out of there, uh, there is a power vacuum. Mm. And um, uh, our uh, character, not, I, I keep calling her, um, you know, Selena Gomez. Um, the character who plays Lilith. Selena Gomez, do you mean... No, I don't. Michelle? Michelle, yes, yes I do. <laughs> I was like, oh, Selena Gomez. No, this. I mean Michelle Gomez. Like I said, there's a few names in this one that, that to conjure with. <laughs> it causes me some difficulty sometimes. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, he, she is uh, kind of... Queen of Hell at the moment. Yes. As we saw from at the end of the other season. I guess if you haven't seen any of this, these are all spoilers. But I mean, you've had some time and yeah, nothing of time. it is wild spoilers really, no, I don't think. No. I think we're fine. Yeah. It's not like we're ruining the end of So Club. Sabrina is trying to get a boyfriend out of hell. Mm. So she's going to enlist certain people's help. Hmm. You know that. Mm. Um, including her, uh, her Fright Club girl boy band. Yes. And um, also Dorian Gray. Oh, ah, I remember okay. Dorian Gray. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, I just find the those character, the witchy characters, way more interesting than the human characters. Like, <laughs> I'm not even sorry about it. <laughs> well, yes, yes, and no. I I appreciate the um, her her human Scooby Gang has got some moves, and they're also very. It's a very woke show. This one, yeah. So there's lots of equal time, and, yeah. and I just I just think. They should do that. Sort of I thing. do think they've incorporated it well too. Like it's definitely not like this is a point we're making. It's like we've just incorporated some storylines that are more thoughtful. Mm. That's just how the show's written. So we're getting to see Sabrina's admittedly not particularly high budget uh, uh, view of hell, mm. which is informed by Dante's Inferno, oh, which just which just makes me cackle. Circles of hell wise, is that the yeah okay yeah? And there's a there is a. Oh, I can't spoil this one. There's that terrific costume moment in oh. the first episode, I think, or okay. the second. And I just thought, oh, wow, that is so cool. I love the way they've done that. Uh, and there's lots of um, interaction between the human Scooby Gang's um, past in hell. So okay. there's interesting uh, reverberations and echoes of previous I things. I see. So we learn more do. about relationships and we characters. We do. Yeah, it's a very ship show. Yeah, that's very <laughs> clever. I yeah. like that. Uh, they also introduce another uh, shirtless um, uh, buff uh, villain. They all seem to be. There's a, a problem with shirts. They yeah, just, they don't just have enough shirts. get burnt off, yeah, leaving yeah. the torso exposed. Yeah, or left open. Or, <laughs> Billowing, you know, yeah. It, it, it does amuse me. <laughs> it's, it's all right. Uh, and and the big news is, of course, that this season um, Sabrina ch- uh, signs up for the cheerleading squad. Some great costume moments. <laughs> 
for for Buffy. <laughs> you know, so I, I like that. And you know, I, I think that this is a great direction for the show to take. I, I felt like it was running a little into a corner. Yeah, I think it's from the sounds of it, they should be doing what Stranger Things did, where season two was started to get stale, mm-hmm. and then they totally rethought the formula for season three, and yeah, it was excellent. That's exactly what they've done, and. Oh, there's, uh, they've introduced another – because, you know, their, their big thing has been Satanism. Yeah. And and you've got to respect the way they really cleave to that. I think the puns, <laughs> all the Satan puns are what really, like, hooked you in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of her favourite – Sabrina's favourite expressions is, oh, heaven, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, anyway, the, um, the, there is the introduction of a new mythos. Ooh. Beyond Satanism. Interesting. And it's a good one. I won't spoil it by telling you what it is. Okay. I'm but, interested. I'm oh, intrigued. It, uh, but it's a classic one. And, and I think, yeah, okay, it's about time we did this. <laughs> so um, we will – I recommend it. So far I'm enjoying it as usual. Good fun. No, um, I just I just like it. It works well. It shouldn't for me. Yeah. But it's, it's getting that sort of Buffy vibe. Yeah. It's – I think it doesn't take itself too seriously and it has a lot of fun. And it has some great actors in it too. It does. It you really know. does. Miranda Otto's in it. Yeah. Um, Dawn from The Office is in it. You mean, you sorry, mean, I forgot that. You mean uh, Candy from uh, Wonder Woman? Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so great. And, of course, um, um, the guy from uh, Coupling. Oh, God, I haven't thought about that yeah, show for about a long that time. Show for ages. Yeah, he plays Lord Blackwood. Oh, of course. Um, Jeff from cool. Coupling. <laughs> That's a throwback. So they started. They started advertising uh, this 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 season with a um, <laughs> a music video. Yeah, which I, I thoroughly recommend. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if um, oh god, I've forgotten the actress's name. Sabrina. Uh Keenan Shipka. That's right. Um, she. It is a ship show. <laughs> exactly. Um, she does this uh, music video, uh, Straight to Hell with a, a group called, uh, or a singer at least, um, called Lovecraft. Perfect. And Sabrina Spellman. And this, they've actually put this out as a single too. <laughs> I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 Triple R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 with three exclamation marks. Hmm. There's another Terry Pratchett um, television series coming out soon, The Watch. Ah. Yeah, it's controversial yeah. so far. Anyway, uh, that was um, Lovecraft and Sabrina Spellman in Straight to Hell, the music video for, for season three. <laughs> I love a good integrated promo. Yeah, yeah, they know what they're doing with that show. Apparently, there is more to come. Good, apart from just this particular season, they seem to be doing. Quite I think well. it's quite popular. Hmm. Um, at the start of the show, I played uh, Richard Strauss's uh, also spake Zarathustra, which, of course, is the music most popularly associated with 2001, A Space Odyssey, along with um, the other Strauss's, uh, The Blue Danube. Mm. And I went to see the MSOs. Um, what do you call those? Uh, they play the movie and they they play the soundtrack as well. I guess like a live orchestra performance, yeah. like a film with live orchestra. Hmm, yeah, and uh, it was actually uh, I was speaking actually speaking to the uh, special projects officer mm. Carl Knapp, 
Is yes, that right? that's that right. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who is, of course, Megan's partner. <laughs> and so the, the, we, we were saying that the um, 2001 is the, the best film actually to pick that, mm. to do that with. Uh, because unlike a lot of the other ones, there's very little dialogue yeah. in 2001. Um, and the music doesn't step on it or vice versa, mm. essentially. So... It actually worked very, very well for me. Okay, it was not in seventy millimeter, <laughs> uh, and that is actually because it was at the plenary, um, at the plenary hall, and and they do have a screen there, but it's not really as ginormous as yeah, it could be. yeah, yeah. But you know, it's a trade off. The, the music sounds great in there. Yeah, it's kind of just matching up the elements to best possible. Yeah, and yeah. it was. It was so glorious listening to uh, and the Blue Danube is just this. Marvelous piece I mean, of music. It's anyway. Amazing music, and yeah, yeah. yeah, and you're right. Like being able to think more about visuals and matching that rather than the third element of dialogue, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but that's why I think with these things, it's always good to go when you're familiar with the film already. I mean, I, I'm very familiar with the the Strauss pieces, but the other ones, um, you know, the uh, the atmospheres and uh, Ligeti's um, Lux. Tenana and uh, a few other bits and pieces that are in there. The these they don't actually strike you often as being actual music because mm. there's, there's a choir in the background and yeah. there's, there's some very odd noises yeah. which you need for this sort of thing and some strange notes and weird riffs. Uh, to me, that was the thing that I really investigated here this time, mm. uh, listening to it like that. So that was that was that was quite amazing to. to to feel that music, and because this is one of the one of those ones where there's a lot of um, uh, black tones on the movie because it's yes. space, yeah, yeah. So the the light's quite low for the orchestra too, yeah. <laughs> so I, I thought that that, that they, they did for me. This is the best one I've actually seen. Ah, you yay! Know, so, yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, the 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 funny thing for me, of course, is that in 2010 at the World Science Fiction Con, which was held there, yes, you were saying I was on the same stage dressed in my 2001 um, spacesuit for, for the costume. <laughs> I think parade. that's pretty amazing. Sort so it's of. ten years later, yeah. and it's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's all come around. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling very resonant. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you enjoyed. I wonder what, what's the next one are they doing? They've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. Um, they're doing Skyfall. Oh. Uh, of course, the Studio Ghibli piece at Sydney Maya Music so, Bowl. Skyfall, not Spyfall. No, <laughs> the actual James Bond. Yeah. Um, and they're doing a Studio Ghibli performance with oh. Joe Hisashi is oh. coming for that. Oh. So there's plenty of good stuff. Where, where is that being done? That'll be at the Sydney Maya Music Bowl, the okay. Ghibli. Yeah, wow. Yes, so... Mm. All kinds. Of, that one is more of a all the music of, and there'll be clips rather than watching sure, a film. So, sure. Yeah. Oh, the Ghibli music is so wonderful. It's lovely. I went to the one they did a couple of years ago, and it's paired with the imagery. It's just, it's such so, such a delightful, like delight is just the perfect word. But that's like the Ghibli movies anyway. They, as a whole, those are movies that I can watch and. Wish they would never actually end. Yeah. Yeah, you know. I think there's such a nice whimsy, but I think it's also mixed with quite a lot of um, meaning and like narrative and things like that. SBS is playing a large chunk of those on demand. And I think they're coming to – I think I heard they're coming to Netflix or something as well. So plenty of chance to check those out if you've never seen any of those. Mm. 
Hi, this is Corey McAbee from Stingray Sam and the American Astronaut, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR FM. He does the things that folks don't do that need to be done. All right. Um, I feel like I've been stalling uh, for 1917. <laughs> yes. Which is um, a new movie by Sam Mendes. Mm-hmm. And I was in a really good mood after seeing 2001, the MSO thing, and... And I thought, am I up for a World War One? Yeah, I mean, you know what you're going in for, yeah. and when you know sort of the one take look premise, it's mm. like you know it's going to be a certain type of film. It's directed, co-written, and produced by Sam Mendes, mm-hmm. uh, who is a TV producer who did The Hollow Crown mm. and Penny Dreadful, amongst other things, but also a film director, uh, American Beauty, Road to Perdition, Jarhead, yep. um, Revolutionary uh, Road. Yeah, mm. Revolutionary Road. Skyfall, Skyfall. Ah, there you go. And Spectre as mm. well. So this film is pretty straightforward. It's it's set on mostly sort of on in the day and the night, April 6, okay. 1917. We're so we're real time. Yes, we're Oof. in the Western Front. Okay. Uh, and this is um, uh, soon after the Germans have retreated back from their main trench line back to the Hindenburg line, mm. uh, a massive pullback which surprised and startled everybody on the Allied side and was basically ended up being a trap. Mm. Pulls the Allies across into no man's land and okay. then to assault this heavily fortified and well-prepared new defensive system. Yeah. And that's what this film is about. Um, and it's a, a little bit odd in a way because we have this this mental image of uh, World War One being static and paralysed, sure. you know, with these odd little offshoots that they, they introduced to try and get an end run around that big stalemate, uh, you know, in Belgium and France and all that sort of stuff. Like Gallipoli is that they invaded that part. So yeah, it's just all trying to do new new sorts of things, mm-hmm. and so they actually have taken a moment that's not part of the static war. Yes, okay. You know, it's like a, a push forwards. Um, and that's that's to their advantage. It means they can get out of the, the, the trenches mm-hmm. and do sorts of all sorts of things. And to do that, they've taken a uh, a leaf from um, an account by Sam Mendes's paternal grandfather, oh, Alfred Mendes, and he right. tells this story about uh, two British soldiers who are tasked with delivering a message, calling off a uh, an attack. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they have to do. And they spice it up because one of the characters, one of the, one of the soldiers who gets chosen, they're two lance corporals, yeah. one of the soldiers who gets chosen has a brother in the regiment that's going to attack. Yes, right. So they have, there's a time element there. Yeah, you know. no pre- Gosh, ooh. Uh, so we've got George McKay playing lance corporal William Schofield. Mm-hmm. And we have seen him before in um, For Those in Peril in 2013 and Captain Fantastic in... 2016, mm. and he will also be in this He's... new series dropping in Stan, on Stan on yeah. Ned Kelly and True History. The, the True Gang. History of the Kelly Gang. It's out now on Stan. It's dropped, And it's it? a film, yeah. It's by Justin Kurtzel who um, did the Macbeth oh, film, yes. the one with um, ugh, Fassbender in it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yep. Mm. George McKay, all right. Uh, and he, he looks so young that he's actually perfect to play this. Mm. And at the same time, he also... He's also looks old. He's got that thousand yard stare that mm. people end up in warfare having. Gosh. He's acting that obviously, but, <laughs> but he was also he's also in the uh, Johnny and the Bomb miniseries, which is um, Terry Pratchett. Oh, 
Oh, okay. Again. He's got a very kind of, I don't know, his face is very distinct to me. I it is, because you will remember him from 11 63 Oh, yeah. yeah. He played Bill in that. Uh, he just does a great job in mm. this. Um, he, he's he's there on screen for a large amount of time, mm-hmm. and so he's the vehicle that, that drive literally drives this film forward. And can it? he hold the film? Yeah, oh, yeah. completely, nice, completely. Nice. Um, cool. But not in the way, not in the way that um, a big name actor mm. would. You know, a lot of things happen to this poor bugger, mm. basically. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and we've also got um, Dean Charles Chapman playing Lance Corporal mm-hmm. Tom Blake. He's the guy who he's the act, actor whose uh, brother essentially is um, the MacGuffin of the piece. Yep. And he's well known for playing uh, in the West End theatre production of Billy Elliot the musical. Oh. Been in so much of that, but he was also in um, the fourth, fifth, and sixth seasons of uh, Game of Thrones. And I'm not quite sure how this works, but it seems he looks like he played two characters, Martin Lannister and uh, Tomen Baratheon. I'm not quite sure how that works out. Maybe I'm just reading that wrong. Weird. We also get uh, Mark Strong and Colin Firth and Benedict Cumberbatch in sort of um, walk-on roles at various stages. Pop a few names in there. Mm Mm-hmm. It Uh, says he was Tom and Baratheon. mm. I think maybe there was an error. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Anyway. Anyway, um, Roger Deakins is the cinematographer of this oh. film. He, he's worked so much with Mendes before. Mm. And the way they've set this film up is it, it's, it mimics one long take. Yeah. So a little yeah, bit yeah, like yeah. Birdman, but not in the actuality of uh, Russian Ark. Yes, which was an actual one shot. This yeah. is in the spirit of a yeah. one shot. Yeah, so it gives you that uh, effect. I mean, my question is why? Like, Why? does that serve the story? Does it make sense or is it gimmicky? It actually does serve the story because, as I said, this one, they move forward from mm, one position and go okay. to the other. And I guess if it's the real time, it's like building tension because yep. you're on the journey with them. It's a little bit like Dunkirk, actually, okay. in that respect. It still feels gimmicky to me. Uh, I have heard a number of people say that it feels like you're watching a video game. Oh, interesting. Like a first-person shooter, and there is that effect. Okay. Um, That's very interesting. uh, And having said that, I moved on immediately. Mm. You know, I I just got into what they were trying to say with this film. Okay, yep, yep, yep. Look, like all all good war films, it is a truth universally acknowledged that all good war films are anti-war films Mm. because it is what it is. Yeah. You know, and that's what this one does in spades. Um, In terms of... um, Credibility, you're sort of thinking there's a hell of a lot happening to these guys in this one day. So you feel that maybe a bit dram- dramatised yeah, to that, those characters at least. On the other hand, if you read some of the stuff that happens happen. to people in warfare, it's just, you think, oh, okay, just another bad day. That's a fair point, yeah. You know, um, some long coincidences and so on. But, yeah. You know, that's that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't actually get many points for saying it's like a video game because it's pretty obvious yeah. the way it's set up. Interesting. Uh, and I learned some things that I, I hadn't known about um, this particular conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's important. You know, had, that does have an educational aspect. I had such a stupid question before, and I'm glad I didn't say it, but it was so dumb I'm just going to say now. I was thinking, it was a World War One. I was like, oh, yeah, what era was that again? Like what time period? <laughs> It's all right. It's over the film a, is called 1917. It's over 100 years ago. 
But I mean, and that's I'll, on me in that I don't know very much about World War One at all. I can barely remember it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember my grandfather not talking about it. Mm, yeah, I mean, and that's yeah, that's yeah. You're right. It's almost a hundred years ago. Mm. And um, it was shot on uh, mostly on Salisbury Plain in in England. So there is this interesting contrast between uh, pristine mm. rural environment. And the the sheer hell of, mm, of the, the shell-torn and landscape. Well, that doesn't actually rain in this one, which is a okay. mercy. So I actually look at it and think... But it looks muddy in the trailers. It's muddy, but it's obviously not rained okay. Okay. from then on. So it's, in terms of trench warfare, it's actually a pretty good day. Mm. But <laughs> You'd recommend? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a well-made um, World War One. Do you think... Cautionary it's- tale. I mean, I don't know what this means anymore, really, but do you think it's like best picture material? Could be. It could be that the the, the feeling of the one shot, um, the one take uh, mm. element is, is quite a tour de force, even if it isn't actually that. Mm. I guess if it works, if it's executed well yeah. and fits, then sure. But, yeah. You know, and the cinematography is absolutely superb. There's mm, a, mm, mm. a moment where they're crossing a ruined um, town and it's uh, lit by flares and mm. a stroboscopic effect, and it's just surreal. Okay. You know, so there, there's, there's moments in this that, that, that just stop you and, and take your breath away. Yeah. Is it long? It doesn't feel like it. Okay. But, but you feel like you're, um, you're immersed in it for the whole movie. Because, I I mean, I ask just because typically a lot of war films are quite long. Mm. This is, it says here, two hours. So yeah. I've never felt less than on the edge of my seat for the whole film. If you start getting um, too hyper-analytical during this, you, you'll lose the thread. Yeah. And right, I decided right, right. that I wanted to be there for, for this film. You're going to be present. Yeah. It, it comes hard upon the heels of Peter Jackson's um, absolutely incredible documentary, They Shall Not Grow Old, mm. uh, which is... A 2018 doco that he did using actual footage restored. Wow! Um, to phenomenal mm. life. So if, if I rec- heartily recommend mm. that one, that's yeah. something that you should check out as one of the 100 documentaries that you should see in your lifetime. Um, and this one, I suppose, would make a good double with that. Mm. A pretty grim double, mm. but there you go. I mean. Yeah, I like I said, I don't know much about these things. And I know movies aren't exactly, you know, but to get a bit more knowledge about things, especially through good documentaries. I feel that they've, um, in, the, in the film, I, I feel that um, Sam Mendes has done a good job of encapsulating many moments in, in that war, you know, from close, close combat mm. to... Um, actually, the only thing he doesn't do too much about is uh, long-range artillery barrages, but there are little aeroplanes and okay. you know, right. so you get lots of uh, good perspective on, on many of the elements mm, of it. Mm, mm, mm. Sure. So, okay. yeah, it, it, I feel it's in the same kind of league as Dunkirk. Yeah, right. You know, so. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Now, the score is done by Thomas Newman, mm. uh, who is no new man to... Uh, Movie scores, Revenge of the Nerds, Desperately Seeking... <laughs> the, cla- the other best picture classic, Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, yeah. Desperately Seeking Susan. Oh, um, Madonna. Yeah, Gung Ho, so that's more sort of um, Jumpin' Jack like, Flash. I didn't realise he went back that far. He does, The Lost Lost Boys. Because that's um, some mould film. Yeah, so I actually feel like um, 
that's a good idea to have somebody who's a bit of a veteran. Mm. Um, you know, so he's done so much that it's just too much. Oh, including oh, one of my very favourite Australian films, Oscar and Lucinda. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Kate Blanchett, right? Uh, and a fiends. I want to say well, one I, of the like, fiends. Yes, it is one of the fiends. Uh, Rafe, Rafe, I think. Gillian Armstrong's film. Yes, is how I remember it. Yeah, <laughs> Aaron Brockovich. You know, so he's done so much stuff that, oh, and probably the one that's pertinent to this is um, the Good German, which oh, is a Soderbergh film. I really didn't like that film. You didn't like that one. I didn't because it was black and white. Fine. It was jarring to me to hear people swear in black and white just because all the old black and white movies were very PG, mm. and I actually didn't think it was very well put together. But I don't recall anything about it, so maybe. I don't know. Who yeah. knows? So anyway, what I'm saying is this guy has chops when it comes, <laughs> when it comes I'm sure to the it. score was very good. It is actually. It is, it's, it's, uh, it's, got, it's very effective. And Pretty really... important in something like a war epic too. Yeah. You need to have a good score. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, next week on Zero G, I think uh, yeah. maybe we'll be looking at um, Underwater. Yes. Which sort of sounds like a wet aliens. I feel I'm expecting something like Buried but with an element of sci-fi-ish. Oh, there's been a lot of these um, um, underwater monster movies, uh, Deep Star Six, for example. Um, um, the Abyss kind of qualifies as mm, one of those. Mm, mm, mm. Um, Harvester Down. Um, you know, there's so many different ones. I like Kristen Stewart. I think she's got chops. So. The, the Meg. <laughs> My personal favourite. My personal favourite. <laughs> um, yeah, Underwater. I think yeah. that'd be cool. Um and I'm 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 a bit trepidatious about Doolittle. Well, the reports have not my, been. No, <laughs> my fondness for Robert Downey Jr. notwithstanding, mm. I, but but then again, you know, I liked I like the new Cats. Musical. Well, I mean, we minds open. That's my motto for 2020. Yeah, right, ready for whatever anyone pours into it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm so holding out for uh, Black Widow. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, can't wait for that one. And Wonder Woman. In spite of um, talking up Picard before it came out, I haven't actually watched it yet. Yes, no, it's out now. Available. I know, but Amazon. I haven't got I haven't got an Amazon Prime subscription. But, I know. I've got. But I could do the freebie out. though. Yeah, same. I think I, I'm... I can't do this. There's so there's too many streaming services. I actually am feeling quite overwhelmed by the amount of streaming services. Oh, there but are. they only cost. Well, that's it. They only, and then, yeah. you know, X amount later. Yeah. But then I think about all the times I used to get two new releases and five weeklies for $12, and that was, you know, yeah. so I guess yeah, it all okay. works out, right? Yeah. yeah, I reckon. Well, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Have a, a safe and pleasant uh, public holiday today out mm. there. And um, until next week, we will go out with Thomas Newman's uh, main title for 1917. And Kate Reid coming up next. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.